morning, everybody. Are you all ready for Christmas? Well, last week I was late to the game. I, I did a Thanksgiving sermon about two weeks after Thanksgiving. But it was all to lead up to Christmas. And uh, last week, if you were here, you heard something about Thanksgiving that all came out of Romans 1, which really isn't the biggest chapter about Thanksgiving. It's, a, it's about the judgment and the wrath of God revealed from heaven. It's about people being without excuse because God's attributes are clearly revealed, clearly seen through creation. And we talked about some of the judgment verses in that passage. And, well, you know, why do we talk about that? Well, to give us thanks because God has made a way to remove that judgment if you'll participate with him. God has made a way to receive mercy. And uh, that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at Christmas as an ultimate gift of mercy to us. We all know that Jesus is a merciful and gracious Savior. We all know that uh, there is peace with God through Jesus Christ, or we should know that being you know, per, uh, attenders of church and so forth. Um, but... You really don't appreciate mercy if you don't understand that we're deserving of wrath. And so that's what last week was about. And we, we showed how thankfulness is a way to keep your heart in the right place with God, that your heart doesn't get darkened, but it retains God's light, and it gives you the power and the ability to walk in the blessings of you know, a spiritual walk. To be spiritually minded is peace, says in Romans chapter 8. But mercy is a foreign concept in today's culture to many people, right? We're living in a cancel culture. And you don't know what that means. You know, people disagree with you and then boom, they're canceled. Not us. I mean, hopefully we have mercy and we're gracious, right? But in the culture we live, if somebody disagrees with somebody else, there's a tendency to want to cancel them, silence them, and have no mercy. And what does that mean about the state we're living in? It goes back to Romans 1. We have made ourselves the judges and punishers of others. That's, I'm talking about our culture. We have in culture godlessness. And when I say the word godlessness, I'm not just talking about the fact that people sin. That is godlessness. But it's gotten so much worse than just sins. Godlessness in our culture is really a general snubbing of God. It's a general uh, acting as if God doesn't exist and that we stand in his place. And that's what we're seeing. That's what we're seeing a culture that's so filled with bitterness and cancel and, and, uh, and then there's the, uh, you know, that's right for you, that's not right for me, and, and everybody's making their own decisions, doing what they feel is right in their own eyes, just like in the book of Judges. And there are plenty of sins out there, but the biggest sin of all is that there's just a complete disregard of God. You know, in the old days, our culture, you know, not everybody was a Christian, but they held Christian values. Everybody acknowledged, at least, that there were some standards of right and wrong. And even though, uh, you know, people would rebel or be disobedient, they wouldn't argue that, there was a standard. Even newspapers would print sermons. And, you know, they'd hold revivals in the old, the Great Awakenings, things. All people had to do was 
come out and proclaim there's forgiveness for you. There's an answer for your sin. And people were burdened with their sins. Today, someone says, what's sin? You know, what are you talking about? I don't have any burdens. Meanwhile, they're going into despair, despondency, alcohol, drugs, sex, everything to alleviate the, the bondage that has come upon them. But, you know, what is sin? I, you know, I'm just a victim. That's what we're at. But we have to understand. We have to understand that God gave Jesus so that we could receive not bondage but freedom. God gave Jesus so that we could escape judgment and receive mercy. It's one thing to be canceled in this culture. It's another thing to be canceled for all eternity. And, you know, Jesus was talking about the last days are going to be like the days of Noah. They were eating and drinking and marrying, giving way to getting married, and all while a flood was about to come and destroy and wipe out civilization. You know, a wedding is a happy occasion, right? But how can you be happy for someone who's going to have this happy event, but they're still in a place where the judgment and the flood is coming? This is why we have to get our priorities straight, and I'm all leading up to what Christmas is about here, because our priorities should not be just so that I can have a good time in this day and just so that I can have it a little bit easier in this world. This world, we're promised tribulations, but we're also promised that this isn't the only world, that there is an eternity to come and there is a blessing to be had with God. God wants only good for us. Well, why did this happen? Well, this is of the world, but God wants something blessed, good, beyond our greatest understanding of what good is because that's what God is. God is above good. He is God. And he wants us to partake in that. But this is something that goes on into eternity. We have to get our priorities set on eternity. And that's the message for the world. The world does not look to eternity and therefore is under a situation that is dreadful. Because, yeah, they're eating and drinking, giving in marriage, but it's like, congratulations, you're riding a limo on your way to the death sentence. That's that's wrong. And, uh, you know, by God's grace, I actually understood this before I was even a Christian. I remember working in an office somewhere, and they were playing the radio, and a song came on by a group called The Grateful Dead. And uh, the lyrics, the guy was singing, I may be going to hell in a handbasket, baby, but at least I'm enjoying the ride. And we were listening to that, and something struck me at that moment. It was odd, because I was just a partying teenager, or past teenager, whatever, I, I would generally be okay with that, but something hit me at that time, and I said to my coworkers, you know, isn't this song ridiculous? The guy is going to hell, but he's laughing about it, saying, at least I'm enjoying the ride. And then, there, of course, there was ACDC, I'm on a highway to hell, no speed limits, no roadblocks, let's go. I mean, that's insanity, and as I said before, that's what the world is in, sin darkens the heart, brings insanity, you don't know your right hand from your left, and your priorities are all off. And all the, this is all built up to what we're going to talk about today because people have to understand that there is accountability, there is judgment, but that's what the glory of Christmas is. That's what we were singing about, how there is mercy. And we can find Christmas in the most unlikely place. I gave the unlikely Thanksgiving sermon in Romans chapter 1. Today I'm giving you the unlikely Christmas sermon in Psalm 85. Bear with me, please. You'll see Christmas, I guarantee it. 
Psalm 85 was written by the sons of Korah. Who was Korah? Some of you will remember in uh, the book of Numbers, there was a group of men, about 250, led by a man named Korah and two others who were challenging the leadership of Moses and Aaron, challenging their priesthood of Aaron. And it became a big controversy to where you know, the Lord had Moses instruct them to everybody step aside, get away from these men if you want to survive because the Lord wasn't pleased with them challenging his servants' leadership. And what happened was that the earth swallowed up Korah and these men and their families, whoever was standing with them. The earth opened up and took them in a big blast of judgment. And those who tried to run escaped, fire shot down, they were consumed by fire. It was an awful thing, and it was a clear revelation that God means business, and it's a serious thing to snub him or turn your back on him. And that's what the problem with Noah and the flood. That was the problem with what we're going to see when the Lord returns. This world is not just sinning. It has mostly turned its back and snubbed him. But the sons of Korah survived. At least some of them did. There were, there were, there were members of Korah's family, I'm sure, that went down in the earth. But there was somebody, some sons, that survived. And th- these were, the ones who wrote the Psalms here are not his actual sons. It came down through the, the line of Korah. And even Samuel was, was brought out through the line of Korah. But the sons of Korah became uh, workers with David, and they were attending to the worship and the writing of psalms. And so this psalm is ascribed to the sons of Korah. They understood that there is accountability and that they were in the wrong place, that Israel needed mercy. And so we go to Psalm 85, verse 7, says, show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. Um, let me just read this psalm from 7 to the end and then go through it one at a time. But let's just get familiar with it here. See if you can see Christmas before I even explain it. Show us your mercy, Lord, and grant us your salvation. I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace to his people and to his saints. But let them not turn back to folly. Surely his salvation is near to those who fear him. That glory may dwell in our land. Mercy and truth have met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed. Truth shall spring out of the earth, and righteousness shall look down from heaven. Yes, the Lord will give what is good, and our land will yield its increase. Righteousness will go before him and shall make his footsteps our pathway. Okay, so in verse 7, the cry is to show us thy mercy, O Lord, and grant us thy salvation. That's the King James. Show us your mercy, grant us your salvation, right? The birth of the Messiah that we're going to uh, celebrate this week was a very much anticipated event. It started way back in the Garden of Eden when after Adam and Eve had sinned. In Genesis 3.15, the Lord made a promise that was somewhat mysterious and not totally clear. But in Genesis 3.15, he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman, talking to the serpent, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. 
this was a veiled prophecy of what was coming through the woman's line that would defeat the enemy that brought mankind into a dismal situation. Satan tempted Eve in the garden. Because sin entered the world, the world has become broken, fallen, under a curse. And there was even mercy that day. They didn't die physically that day, but something died spiritually. But God would not allow that to be the end result. There was mercy in the beginning. He made a promise that there was going to be one who through this line would fix the problem. And that's what happens in the Old Testament. You see the history, God dealing with his people and setting up for the solution to the problem. And so it was a great anticipation. He made promises to Abraham how all the nations were going to be blessed through his line. And then Israel comes up through his line. And Israel was going to be a model for the nations to be blessed. And there was going to be an answer. And then the law came and and people failed through the law and understood there was no hope in mankind to solve the problem. So there had to be an answer. It goes back to this. There was going to be a seed. And it was pointing to the Messiah. So the prophets came to Israel and they told them to repent, get right. And they... Israel would for a little bit, and then they fell again, and they would for a little bit, fell again, but then there were more prophecies coming forth that there would be a Messiah, one who would get it right for you. And so there was an anticipation, one who would save us, one who would take care of all our needs, and one who would release us from the captivity. And the prophets prophesied, and Israel anticipated the birth of the Messiah. And that's why, you know, women didn't want to remain a virgin. They, they wanted to be the one that the Messiah would come through. It was something that it was the dream of families. And so all the way up to this season, we're coming into the place when Jesus would be born. And when the angels made that pronouncement, it was like, is this it? This is what we've been waiting for for all these hundreds of years, hundreds, thousands of years. Here he is. So the psalm says, show us your mercy and grant us thy salvation. It was that night that mercy appeared. The anticipation expressed here, show us this and grant us what we need. This is what appeared in the birth of Christ. Now mercy, the word for mercy in this passage in the Hebrew is chesed. You know, like bach. Can you do bach? Not a k, it's a k kind of a chesed. Hebrew is a great language, and i got to take advantage and go chesed when I can. But chesed is an incredible word. This is not just a word defining mercy. This is a word that is so full, so full of, of goodness that it's hard to translate. Chesed is an important word, one of the most important words in the Hebrew Bible. It appears 240 times. And it has been translated in some respects as loving kindness. It has been translated as steadfast love. It's been translated simply as kindness. It's been translated as mercy as it is here. And what does it mean? It, it is a, a loaded term that talks of, that is tied to covenant. It's actually covenant terminology. What does that mean? Well, God made a covenant with man that he was going to do something. And we heard about that a few weeks ago. He cut a covenant with Abraham and he put himself in the position of, I'm the one that's going to keep it. 
He promises through the prophets, I'm going to bring a new covenant. It's going to be on me. And we know that Jesus took it all upon himself. But a covenant is an agreement, a contract that is going to be held to, which is our blessing because we don't hold to it, but God does. And that was his idea. That was his working. That was his covenant. That was his kesed. I'm making a legal arrangement that I will not abandon you. I will not disown you. I will not throw you off or cast you away the moment you mess up. I have a covenant with you. It is a legal arrangement based on legalities, legal legalities. And that's why Jesus came and he had to do something to meet these legalities. God is just. God has a holy and righteous law. And it is good. But we are unjust. We are lawbreakers. And yet God has kessed, kessed, a love for the lawbreaker. And it's not just a legal arrangement, although it's very much tied, kessed is tied to the legal arrangement. There's an element of loyalty in it. There's an element of devotion, of kindness, as it's translated, loving kindness. It's more than just legal. It's kind of, it can be associated with marriage. A marriage can be a legal contract, right? But then it goes beyond the legal terms of marriage. There's the heart behind it. There's the, the tenderness behind it. There's the, the affection, the devotion. So that's... At best I can do to explain this word, it's, it's greater than that. But it's something that is a mercy to us that every time we fail, every time we are in need or desperation, God is yet merciful to us, not because he has to be just because of the covenant, but because he has a heart that loves us. And, and it's a loyal, devoted love. And it's, it's beyond what we can define with this vocabulary kind of love. The best way might be to say God's kind of love. So it said, show us your mercy. And Jesus came not as a judge in flaming fire, not in royal robes to cause everyone to fall down and admit we were wrong, but he comes mercifully in a way that we could receive him as a little baby. He put himself on the line because of Kesed to come as a baby and to be dependent on human parents and to be uh, mishandled by man and in this world to deal with the, all the pains and the sorrows and the misunderstandings and everything. You know, if it were you or me, I would think if we were coming, we'd come to show people a what for. You've broken my law. You've snubbed me. You have deserved wrath and punishment. Now I'm going to show you who I am. Right? And none of us deserve that. That's in our corruption. But God, who would be totally just to take that attitude on, says, no, I'm going to come a different way because I'm going to give him mercy. What is mercy anyway? Mercy is not receiving the punishment that you deserve. Mercy is not receiving the punishment that you deserve. Or in some cases, it's not receiving the punishment that's been decreed. Because, you know, there are people like martyrs in different places that come under someone's power, and these martyrs may not deserve to be punished, but it's in the power of their persecutors to punish them. So their persecutors are in the position where they could have mercy if they chose to. 
But in our case, in Israel's case, in the world's case, we are all deserving of wrath and punishment. We all deserve for this not to be Christmas, but this to be the judge coming. And instead, we didn't get what we deserved. We got far more than we deserved. We got mercy. And it says, show us your mercy, grant us your salvation. The high and holy one came and showed us mercy in the person of Jesus Christ. John 1 verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Christmas is Jesus Christ come in the flesh, not in the flood. He came in the flesh, not in the flood. And we beheld his glory. They couldn't behold God's glory when Moses came down from the mountain. Mount, Moses' face was reflecting the glory of God, and they had to have him put a veil. They couldn't behold it. They couldn't stand before Mount Sinai without being intimidated by the fear of the most holy God and judge and the, and the mountain of the law. They could not behold or stand before God, and yet God found a way in mercy so that we could behold him, and we beheld his glory, the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. And that grace and truth brought us to a place where we could have access, not to a Mount Sinai where we'd be struck down, but to a throne of grace, one that had been made away for us so that we, undeserving though we are, could have access to the king. Man, I, I don't have much access to important people in this land. You know, I'd like to boast about that. Well, I sat with so-and-so and had lunch with so-and-so. and There's not much access to the high and important ones, but what's that to high and holy God that I have access to that he will receive me not with a tolerance, but with kesed, kesed. It's, a, it's legal for me to be there, but it's beyond legal for me to be there. It's loving. He loves for me to be there. And I could get nervous about that. I could be going to a throne of religion and going to the law of Moses, but I can go instead to a throne of grace and I could say, thank you, Lord. And I don't deserve anything from you, but because of your mercy and you've shown it to me through the person of Jesus. Show us your mercy, O Lord. Grant us your salvation. Back to verse 7. That Hebrew word for salvation is Yeshua. Yeshua is the name of Jesus. The Hebrew name. Yeshua. Show us your Yeshua. That's what he did in Christmas. He sent Yeshua. He granted us Yeshua. What does Yeshua mean? Salvation is more than just, oh, I'm going to going to be forgiven and go to heaven, it's much more loaded term, like kesed is a loaded term. Yeshua means deliverance, aid, victory, prosperity, health, welfare, everything. In other words, it's, it's all, all of life. Jesus said, I came that they might have life and have it more abundantly. He came that we might have the Lord's Yeshua, salvation. And you say, well, I'm struggling, and I'm having a hard time, and I'm saved, and I know Jesus and everything. You're on a path. You're on a journey, and you're not home yet. You know, we, when we get home, 
then we can enjoy the the lights and the fireplace and the eggnog and all the rest and put on our robes. The robes are for heaven. It's armor for earth. But that armor is is the equipment that we need. He's provided that because of the mercy of God. He's not left us to ourselves. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's given us the will of God through his word, the promises, the precepts, everything is all, it all comes to Yeshua, the salvation that we have. And that's what gets us through this battle. And we will come to the place where it will be fully consummated when he does return as he's promised. So this is the gift that the world received at Christmas. Why do we give gifts at Christmas? God gave us a gift. He showed us mercy and he granted us salvation. The most important gift you can ever receive. Have you received that gift? You can receive a nice sweater. You can receive a a new car. But all of that's going to waste away. Again, our priorities have to be to eternity. And we have to see that eternity is the greater of all, the greatest of all. On verse 8, it says, I will hear what God the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. So you had the cry, show us your mercy, grant us your Yeshua. Now I will hear what the Lord will speak, for he will speak peace unto his people and to his saints. And what happened on Christmas Eve, but the angels appeared and they spoke. Glory to God on in the highest. Peace on earth and goodwill to men. The angels spoke on behalf of the Lord. They spoke peace. He will speak peace to his people. And then the Savior was born and that was God's very word coming from him. His very communication. Jesus is called In John chapter 1, the Word. In the beginning was the Word of God. The Word was with God. The Word was God. The Logos, the Word. Why is Jesus referred to as the Word? It's because he's the communication of God. The Kesed communication. The gift. He spoke. He communicated in a way that we could understand and receive. Through his person. So it says, he will speak peace unto his people, and that's what he did. And he spoke peace through the angels, and Jesus himself was peace spoken, the word of God, the word that uh, you are received, you are reconciled. You know, it's all about reconciliation. Why do we need reconciliation? Again, it goes back to there's an account, there's judgment, there's an end coming, and there's a controversy between mankind and God. But Jesus was the word of peace spoken between man and God. When it says peace on earth, it's not talking about an end to all wars on this earth and all the countries getting along and everybody just, you know, no more having conflicts here because they spoke peace on earth and still we haven't seen that. So they weren't talking about that kind of peace. They were talking about peace with God, reconciliation with the Lord, no longer having to beat yourself up because you fail miserably, no longer having to say, why do I always do this? but saying, it's okay, God has sent peace through Jesus. This was the glory of Christmas. This was the mercy of Christmas that he gave us the gift of peace. Peace not with the world. In fact, we have a lot worse with the world now sometimes because we're following a different path. 
but none of that matters when you have peace with God and you know where you're going and you know who loves you and you have the relationship, the beyond the legal relationship, but the loving relationship with the one who is the beginning and the end. Amen? So it says, but let them not turn again to folly. He speaks peace to his people and to his saints, but let them not turn back to folly. And Christmas reveals the mercy of God coming into our lives. And when we receive that peace, it should affect us that we would not turn back to folly. And this is the whole gospel. Uh, The gospel is not you do better to get right with God. And finally, one day I'm going to do better. I'm going to get it. And, oh, I keep messing up and it never comes. No, you turn from your folly not to do better. You turn as a response to receiving a gift. It's, it's already taken care of. You're already in. You're already good with me, the Lord says. And you say, how can that be? Well, it's because I sent you my Yeshua. All you need to do is receive. Receive. You ever give a gift to someone, they don't want to receive it? They can't use it if they don't receive it. And you can't use your gift of salvation if you don't receive it. This is for me. I don't have to measure up anymore. I, well, great, I'll, I'll, I'll live in sin. No, you haven't received anything. You don't understand the goodness and the mercy that you've just received. If that sinks in, you won't want to turn back to folly. It's a matter of I don't want to. You know, I may not perfectly stay out of folly. And in fact, here's the mercy of God. Because of Christmas, we always turn back to folly in, in one degree or another, and yet... Jesus still stays with us. Jesus came, and he's still with us. He says he'll never leave us nor forsake us. And I can't tell you even how many times this week I've been in prayer thinking, Lord, how foolish I've been, and yet you're still with me. And, and that's what this is all about, the mercy. And the Kesed, you, you still stay with me even though I've broken my side of the contract. I've broken my vows. I've broken everything, and yet you have taken it upon yourself to reveal yourself as kessid and mercy. That's the glory of the gospel. We, we mess up all the time, and yet Jesus stays with us. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We messed up when he was here in physical body. They, they misunderstood him. They twisted his words. They accused him, and he stayed till he finished his purposes. And uh, he's going to stay with you until he finishes his purpose. And his purpose for you is life. And you know, ultimately, he never, even when he finishes his purpose, he's, he's always going to be with us. Only it's going to be better and better as we discover more and, and our eyes are open throughout eternity. You know, eternity is a long time. God is bigger. God is going to take eternity to enjoy and receive and love and understand and worship. You know, sometimes we have to force ourselves to worship. We don't feel like worshiping. And, oh, we've sing the, sang this song a hundred times, and, but it's not going to be that way. When our eyes are opened, when we understand, and when the Spirit of God is, there's no hindrance between our flesh and Him, it's going to be like we can't stop worshiping. You can't stop it. You can't help it. That's, that's what it is. Right now we're in the flesh, and that sometimes it's a struggle. But as we grow, it can become less. As we grow in these things, that's why we come together, encourage each other, we read the word to grow, not so we can get our acts together, although getting our act together is a good motive to grow and know these things I'm talking about because the more we can 
we can be in line with God, the more we receive of the blessing and the understanding and the worship flows more freely. But it can never become this, I got to do better to get something. It's all beginning out of the, I've got it because of the mercy of God. I, you know, mercy is not getting the punishment you deserve. And linked to mercy is grace, getting all the things you don't deserve, the good, the blessings. They're not totally separate, mercy and grace, but they are different ideas. So that's verse 8, and we'll wrap it up a little bit more quickly here with the last verses. Surely his salvation is near them that fear him, that glory may dwell in our land. Your salvation is always near. In fact, it's on the inside of you. Jesus comes into your life when you invite him, when you receive him. His spirit comes to dwell in you, and the glory of God dwells in the land because the glory of God is dwelling on the inside of you and me. Well, you don't look glorious, feel glorious, but it says in the scripture that we have this glory in earthen vessels. An earthen vessel is something you can't see what's inside it. Kind of a jar of clay is another translation. But you can pour out what's inside of it. That's when you start to do God's will, when you serve others, when you love others, when you have grace for others. Because you've been forgiven, you forgive others. When you have mercy, you have mercy on others. That's when his glory dwells in the land. And that's what we're about as kingdom people. When we do good, it reveals God's glory. And that glory is within. If you'll believe and receive it, you have it. It's, it's if you fear God. And what does the fear of God mean? We've talked about this. It's not being afraid of God, but it's just honoring, esteeming, respecting him, putting him first in your decisions, putting him first in your actions, just saying he's the most important thing to me. Whatever I do or say, ultimately, he's the most important. Practically, again, I'll let my mouth run, and it sure won't be what, what he wants me to say, right? But, but we're talking about a heart, a general inclination of the heart. If your heart is inclined towards him for that, you don't have to feel condemned when you fail because of the mercy of Jesus. But that's where the glory dwells, and it's always near us. It's near to those who fear him, and the glory dwells in the land. Verse 10, mercy and truth are met together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. And this is the Christmas message. Jesus came to fulfill truth and the truth of our need, and yet mercy met us. We were guilty, and yet mercy met us. And it all comes together. Righteousness and peace have kissed each other. How could God still receive mankind and be righteous when we are guilty transgressors. It's through the person of Jesus Christ. That's how the righteousness can be met. That's how peace can kiss the righteousness. God can be just and the justifier of our our souls because Jesus paid the price for us. He was totally righteous and he took the punishment in our place and we can be set free. And God can still be just because the demands of the law were met in Christ. Righteousness and peace. They've kissed each other. That's a sweet term. It's it's just, it's like the Italian kiss. 
you know, it's just sweet. And that's what God has done is just so awesome and sweet. Verse 11, truth and truth shall spring out of the earth and righteousness shall look down from heaven. And truth did spring out of the earth. When Jesus died, he rose again. He came out of the earth and because he rose again, his righteousness came upon us. It's not our righteousness. It's the righteousness of Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.21 He who knew no sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God through him. And yeah, I say things I shouldn't say. I have thoughts I shouldn't think. I have actions that probably could be better. But it's all counted as righteous because all those things I just mentioned, Jesus took to the cross. And truth sprang out of the earth. Righteousness received the truth and came down upon me. That's the good news of the gospel, too. There's so much good to the gospel. And verse 11, no, 12, the Lord shall give that which is good, and our land shall yield her increase. And at Christmas, the Lord gave good to an evil world, and of his increase there is no end. The government shall be upon his shoulders, and the increase of his government there shall be no end. Isaiah chapter 9. This is what we're talking about. The kingdom is coming. There is judgment coming, but for those who have received mercy, for those who have turned back to the Lord, there is no end to the increase of his government. And it's a government of peace, blessing, prosperity, a place of no curse. And this is more than just a hope and a dream. This is the reality that can keep you strong in the midst of these things while we wait. In verse 13, the last verse, Righteousness shall go before him and shall set us in the way of his steps. And this is where, you know, in 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 30 31 says, But of him are you in Christ Jesus. He became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, that as it is written, he who glories, let him glory in the Lord. He becomes our righteousness. He becomes our wisdom. Nothing is of me. It's all of him. But, he, but we've become together. And we could have never become together if it's not for the Christmas message that God became flesh, dwelt among us, we beheld his glory, and he made the way where nothing in previous times could do it. No flesh can be justified before the Lord, but in Jesus we actually receive his righteousness and, and we go before him not as miserable mess-ups, but as the righteousness Jesus' own righteousness, because that's how he views us, through the blood of Christ. All because he didn't come and smite us and give us what we deserve. That's the mercy Christmas. Now, I'm not going to say Merry Christmas anymore. I'm going to say Mercy Christmas. Now, I'll say Merry Christmas, but Mercy Christmas is, might be more accurate. And every day, God has mercy on me, every single day, and I don't deserve the blessings I have, and I've got many, and and the fact of the matter is I have so much more that I've been too stupid to even know I have because we don't look at the things that are a blessing. We don't consider it. We take so much for granted. And the devil comes in and strikes us and works in our minds to show us what we don't have, what we're uncomfortable about, what, what's missing, what's wrong. 
And so it gets us thinking on a negative track, and then it blinds us even more to the blessings we have. And yet God still has mercy on us, still blessing us and, and keeping us. And uh, it, the world is overcome. Jesus has overcome the world. I can't overcome the world. It looks to me like it's overcoming me, but because of the mercy of God, he still puts up with me. He still receives me when I come to him. He's still using me. He's still heaping good things upon me. And he doesn't leave. He never leaves us nor forsakes us. So that's my Christmas message before Christmas. We'll have another Christmas message next week. But it's the mercy of God. We, we live in a culture that doesn't consider mercy. And yet every day there's mercy for you and me. And every day we need it. And if we think about it, it's not to beat ourselves up. Oh, I just need mercy. It's to be in the place of thanksgiving, which brings me full circle to last week's message, to just thank God for his mercy. Don't beat yourself up. We have to share the bad news. We fall short. We live in a sinful world. We have sin. And we will continue to have these things. But we don't beat ourselves up because we've received mercy. If you're beating yourself up, if you're constantly saying, I can never get it right, I can't be a Christian, I can't change my life, you're not receiving the mercy. Just receive the mercy. It's a Christmas gift. It's a gift. Don't, don't leave it on the shelf either. Pull it off the shelf. Unwrap it. You know, the, we gave the Chinese gifts when we were there in China, and sometimes the cult, cultural custom was to just keep it wrapped up on the shelf. They just beautiful gifts wrapped up. Well, this is something you don't want to keep on the shelf. You want to receive mercy. And you want to receive... And it's a gift, gift that keeps on giving because every time you do have that tendency or that desire to beat yourself up and become introspective. And I was one of the chief introspectors for a long time. And God is still working on me, but I've gotten further than I was. Just pull the gift off and say, thank you. This is what it's all about, the mercy of God. And the mercy and the thankfulness for that will change you more than ever you tried on purpose to change yourself. So, Mercy Christmas. <laughs>